everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. Wednesday, December 13th, episode 228. It's uh, it's SEC Day in Oklahoma and Texas. More on that later. That's Ryan Chapman. He joins us for more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet's going to jump in. Third segment, we're going to talk about recruiting, the portal, state championships, Lots to get to there with Randall, so uh, let's dive in. Let's jump right into the top, Ryan. Uh, Danny Stutzman, coming back. Billy Bowman, coming back. And for a minute there, for just a minute, you felt like, wow, this Brent Venables culture is, is, uh, is winning them over. This Brent Venables culture is establishing itself. And these guys want to skip the NFL, and they want to come back. We'll talk about those dudes, Stutzman and Bowman, in just a minute. But then it flips, and you're like, wait a minute, Caden Green is leaving? Shocking. I mean, you, you get this feeling that everything is going the right way, and then just like two days later, out of nowhere, Caden Green bails. And it is radio silent, right? It has It is one of the most shocking departures. Freshman All-American, freshman captain, started five games his true freshman year on the offensive line, which is almost impossible to do historically. He gets in there, and he basically takes over. Ryan, against Texas, this is why fans are so pissed right now. Against Texas, he comes off the bench and is like a conquering hero, kind of in a, in a lesser, a much less dramatic way like Caleb Williams was. Comes off the bench turns the game around, inserts himself into the lineup, and you're thinking, oh, my God, they are set at left guard for the next three or four years, right? And then Caleb Williams leaves, and, and now Caden Green has left, and it's like, what? People are bent about this, and he has been radio silent. He hasn't talked to anybody. Well, they're bent because he's good. I mean, uh, no disrespect to anyone else that hit the portal, but like the Dylan Gabriel situation – very unique. Dylan yeah. Gabriel is the top player in the portal, but everyone knew exactly why that happened because Jackson Arnold, it's his time. Uh, Brent Venables talked last Thursday in his Alamo Bowl press conference about they had a couple of guys who had hit the portal that had a COVID year to use, but Oklahoma viewed them as seniors a year ago. Mm-hmm. I think those guys are Key Lawrence, Marcus Major contributors, but Oklahoma needs them to move along so they can get their roster back to what it needs to be as far as the you bring guys in, they're here for four years, five if they redshirt, they move out. Everyone else was like a guy that has just not contributed and wants to go play football somewhere else. Caden Green was the anchor of the left side of Oklahoma's line heading into the SEC. You were going to yep. slide Jake Sexton back over to left tackle. You're going to have Caden Green play left guard. Those two guys absolutely mauled and kicked butt and took names in Lawrence the one time they got to play on the left side of the line together for a banged up Walter Rouse and they were going to be the dudes and now Jake Sexton he walks in he's looking around he's looking like uh, the John Travolta meme from uh uh Pulp Fiction Pulp Fiction yeah where he, he's looking in the offensive line room going where are all the starters? Where, where I'm, I'm the lone returning starter, and even he had to supplant Tyler Guyton to be a returning starter. If you look at the group, if Guyton was, quote-unquote, the guy, Oklahoma just lost their entire offensive line. Walter Rouse, yeah. McCain Mattire, those guys have no eligibility left. Caden Green's in the portal. Andrew Ames off to the draft. Tyler Guyton's off to the draft. So it's just Sexton. And 
Uh, it's a massive blow. That guy's going to be an All-American. If he, if he plays like he played in five games this year, he will be an All-American before he's done in college football, wherever he is. Not just a freshman All-American, just a straight-up All-American. Yeah, it's a big blow. And it, it was it was eerie and weird and kind of unprecedented how it all shook out in that OU's like, okay, let's go to practice. And they're out there practicing. Bill Biedenboe's like, Where's my left guard? Where's I, I, I don't know where my left guard is. Uh, okay, somebody else get in there. We'll move on. He's probably taking a test and forgot. He, maybe he slept in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treadmill his ass. I'm going to get him uh, on the uh, Stairmaster. You know, what, one of those things, right? You're thinking Bill Biedenboe's like, I wonder where he is. Then during practice, we get the, the Hayes Fawcett tweet. He's it, transferring. He wants to jump in It was weirder than that. It was weirder than that because yesterday at practice, we have that open practice viewing, right? And so all of us are out there on the field for the first 20-ish minutes, and you you were taking note of, okay, I don't see Marcus Major. Is that an opt-out or is that finals? Who knows? But, oh, Tommy Walker's here. Dylan Gabriel, he's not here. Well, we know why. He's headed to Eugene, get stuff started. A number of the coaches, like DeMarco Murray, Miguel Chavis, Bill Biedenboe at least, um, they're out recruiting right now. Like some of these bowl practices are kind of weird in this lead up to signing day. Cause you've got half the staff that's running it and half the staff's out recruiting and, and all that stuff. And it gets to the offensive line group, which is they, they just by, by circumstance of convenience, the offensive line stand right where we are let in. And that's like yep. the starting point for the areas we're allowed to stand at the open practice. So all of us are standing over there by the offensive line. And it starts to be a, a almost a whisper within all of us media hacks is we're all looking around going, anybody see 70? No, nobody sees Caden Green. Okay, let, let's see what that thing looks like. And then literally we hear the, okay, you're on to period, whatever it is. Practice is now closed. And as we are all walking back off the practice field and you look down at your phone for the first time, that's when the tweet pops. And then uh, we come back at 1.30 at the end of practice. McKay Matower has no idea what we're talking about. He's like, I assumed... He's like, I hadn't heard anything about a portal. I just assumed he was taking a final. It's finals week. Guys are in and out of practice. Billy Bowman had no clue what it like. We were like breaking the news to the players that Caden Green had announced that he was hitting the he's wow. intending to enter the transfer portal. So Biedenboe wasn't even there. He was out recruiting, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. See, I wasn't there either. I was uh, indisposed, shall we say. And uh, so I wasn't able to attend, but yeah, I didn't realize that some of the coaches were actually gone on the road recruiting. I thought when practice resumed, they all reconvened from the recruiting trail, but I could see where they would let their assistants, the assistants, assistants uh, coach them up early in this stage practice. Fascinating stuff. Uh, I've been reading as much as I can about it, watching as much as I can about it. And he hasn't, apparently Caden Green hasn't returned any calls from uh, it met with Venables and met with uh, Biedenboe last week, per usual, exit interview type stuff is, is what I'm told. But And they had no clue that he was looking around or disgruntled or wanted to play tackle, right? I mean, if, if that's part of it, uh, I don't think any of that's part of it, Ryan. I'm told that this is 1 million percent NIL related, but just watch where he goes now, okay? Where, watch where he lands. And then do your old old school detective journalism work here. Follow the money. And the maybe the NCAA will have its very first open and shut tampering case in the transfer portal era. 
where somebody actually gets in trouble for tampering with somebody while they're still attached to a roster because that's apparently what happened. It it's just bizarre, and and Oklahoma was floored. Uh, the players were obviously floored. All that stuff. This is a guy that six days ago now, when Spencer Brown, the uh, Michigan State tackle, right tackle, who committed, he's one of the first guys that's quote tweeting it and saying welcome and, and all that stuff. Which Twitter's not real life. It's not the end of the world. It's not everything. But we see a ton of guys that like someone commits to their school and they just don't say anything on Twitter because they're on to the next. That you know that like. If you're not in, you don't have to do the welcome tweet. Like it's not like we saw 85 guys come out of the woodwork to 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 welcome. That's not a requirement. It's just so bizarre. And and it we talked about it coming in that hey, here are the names we expected. Here are some names who wouldn't be shocked if they hit the portal. And yeah, there's probably going to be one that everyone goes oh. Unfortunately for Oklahoma, it was at a massive massive piece of the offensive line, and that's a group that Bill Bedenboe. Uh, when Lincoln Riley was here, they were not telling him to bring in five guys regardless. It was the quality over quantity thing. And, and they're still having to take portal depth pieces just to to level that back out. He missed on some of his top targets in this last recruiting class. So it's not the A team. There is a lot of pressure on Bill Beanbow. He has got to wrangle in a big time 2025 class. This line's not SEC ready. It is not without Aiden nope. Green. Nope. It's not. And if you if you gave me a list, a roster, which I have right here, I have a roster, an OU roster, and say, rank these guys, rank them, who's going to be the most likely to leave in the portal and who's going to be the least likely. However many there are on, his, on this roster, 100, 105, I don't know. He would be at – Caden Green would have been at the very bottom, maybe last among all of them because – like you said earlier, he's going to be an All-American. He came off the bench as a freshman and in a lot, in a in a great degree to to a great degree helped save the season. He, I'm not, I'm not I don't want to overblow what he did, but he came off the bench. Uh, Tavondre Sweat was in the backfield on every play, and he came off the bench, played left guard, and that stopped. Tavondre Sweat was no longer in the backfield on every play. He's that kind of talent. He. Uh, is from Oklahoma, born in Oklahoma, grew up in Oklahoma. His parents played sports in Oklahoma. Uh, he's from Lee Summit North and is coached by a former Sooner guy, right? Uh, I mean, just look at the, the the number of dots that you can connect. And it's just shocking. It's just utterly shocking that he is the one who hangs the coaches out to dry, doesn't return their calls, isn't communicating with his head coach, in high school, I mean, his high school head coach isn't communicating with media after having a great relationship with a lot of the media in this area. He's gone. It reminds me this, this is going to crack you up. I hope, I hope in high school. All right. We had a guy, I'm not going to name his name. He might be listening or maybe he's not. Maybe he's somewhere else right now. He just disappeared one day. Like his dad, like woke him up. It was like one of those, like a John Cusack movie or something. His dad woke him up and said, "We got to go, get in the car. They're after us." Like what? The IRS, the mob. He disappeared. Like didn't withdraw from school. He just stopped coming. He was on the football team. And the second semester is like, have y'all seen this dude? No, we haven't seen. Him. I don't know where he went. Nobody knew where he went. And for the rest of our lives, up to now, 30, 40 years later, whatever, 
Nobody has heard from him. He is gone. It's like, damn, where did he go? That's what Caleb uh, or uh, Caden Green has done. It's like, wait a minute, where did he go? But he, he'll turn up somewhere, obviously. Yeah, it'll be a little easier to spot Caden Green as he'll be on a college football field, uh, <laughs> just absolutely crushing skulls somewhere across the country. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that, look, it, it's hard. To, I know that there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, panic in portal season. This is a kneecap to Oklahoma's yeah. offense, whether you look at what does the offensive line now look like in the Alamo bowl? I mean, we can go through that. I, my best guess would be um, Walter Rouse and McKay Mattire. They're finishing it thing out. Rain and Guyton opted out. So I'd guess that you have uh, Walter Rouse at left tackle, Jake mm-hmm. Sexton back at right tackle, McKay Mattire at right guard before yesterday, like before seeing the practice, I would have just assumed that Troy Everett plays left guard and yeah. you bring in Josh Bates at center, even though he is a true freshman, because McCain Matower after practice said, I can make all the calls. I can do everything from the right guard spot. It's all about making life as easy on Jackson Arnold as possible. But Troy Everett was standing off to the side yesterday. He was like fully dressed. So he wasn't in like street clothes. Like Justin Harrington was there and he was in, Jersey top, no pads, shorts, the brace on the left leg. Everett was dressed head to toe, but I didn't see him take any reps or anything. He was just kind of chilling with the offensive line group. So if Everett, whatever that is, it didn't look like if, – if it was him being banged up, it certainly didn't look serious if he's dressed head to toe or anything like that. But if he can't go or if that develops into something, then you're really going, who on this roster? Yeah. Is it Jake Taylor time? What, what are you looking at? And you don't want to get your true freshman who's starting his first game. Right. You sure don't want to get him hurt heading into winter workouts and spring practice where they got to install a new offense under Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley. So who was the left guard when you were watching? Was it Caleb Schaefer? They they were just hitting uh, – they, they never fanned out when I was over there because it was just they were rolling through hitting the sled. Okay. But Everett was not in line hitting the sled. Everyone okay. was hitting the sled and Everett was just standing. I would think uh, the way I wrote it down was route left to right, Rouse, Everett, or Caleb Schaefer, Bates at center, Matoyer, and Sexton. That's pretty easy. But depth-wise, you start getting into Jake Taylor. Where's he going to play? Aaron Parks, who's already been in the portal and came back, right? Bad timing for him. Uh, he's now uh, – I would think he's now one of the top backups. If he doesn't leave portal-wise officially the, again this time, uh, Nate Anderson is in the portal. Was he out there? At practice, I'm gonna be honest. I wasn't really looking because that yeah. wasn't one of the uh, that wasn't one of our having no knowledge of the green stuff heading in. Like the right. offensive line group was not super. It was supposed to be very boring. Actually, it was supposed to be. Hey, yeah. you know who the tackles are going to be. You know who the guards are going to be. And we were just going to peek over real quick to see if we could figure out between Everett or Bates. And then we start looking, and we're like, there, there is a massive human missing. What is happening? And then, then that's what it went to. I know Nate Anderson's in the portal, but so is Tawi Walker. So there's the possibility he could come back and play for a game and play in the bowl game and get the bowl gift and hang out with his team at Christmas. That's That happens frequently. Uh, other than that, you're looking at a couple of true freshmen who got some snaps this year, but Logan Hallen and Heath Ozeda are the two true freshmen. After that, you're looking at walk-ons and other true freshmen who who uh, aren't necessarily – haven't gotten any time this year. That's your offensive line – those are the backups anyway. Those are the primary guys going into the uh, into the Alamo Bowl, which is just weird to me. 
It's weird, but uh, in a weird way, it's a spot Bill Beanbow was in literally last bowl season. If you remember, by the time we got to Orlando, McCade Mattire was the only starter from the regular season who played in the bowl game because Andrew Rame had to get the surgery, so he actually cut his season a little bit short so he get back for winter workouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we got to Orlando on game day, that's the first moment we found out that Chris Murray wasn't going to give it a go. So Oklahoma had four new offensive linemen uh, plus um, Mattire as their Mattire had moved from left guard over to right guard to make way for Bird. You had Rob Conjol at center. You had, what, Sexton at left tackle for the three plays, Guyton at right tackle. Then it became Parks at left tackle. So Oklahoma was under a makeshift offensive line. Bill Beanbo put together a good plan with that group before. But you also had a veteran quarterback, and you weren't trying to protect a true freshman making his first stop. Maybe oh, you could build some kind of statue to McCade Matoyer for being in three straight <laughs> bowl games, being the guy who's coming back, and everybody's moving around him, and he's just standing there in his three point position. You know that would be uh, that would be awesome. He's uh, he transferred from he loves OU, grew up in Houston, uh, wanted to go to OU. They didn't need him at the time. He goes to Cal, proves he can play, plays for three years, comes back, plays for Oklahoma for three years. Crazy. But, uh, yeah, build the man a statue. Um, we might as well talk about the other portal guys who are coming in. we got a, quite a few that are leaving. The count was up to 15 today that are gone or that are planning to leave or entering the portal, have entered the portal, will enter the portal after the game. I don't know. 15 out. Right now there are three guys coming in. They got a cornerback from San Diego State, Des Malone. He's committed. Uh, by the way, he talked to uh, Randall, and uh, Randall had a story about him uh, this morning, I believe. And so check that out, allsooners.com. Read more about Des Malone, why he picked OU, what he thinks about OU, what he likes about OU's chances against Arizona, who he's played against in his career. Thought that was interesting. And uh, his boy, Caleb, uh, uh, I almost said Caleb Green, Caleb Kelly. Is, uh, is his guy so uh, from Fresno. So read all about that at allsooners.com. He's a two-time All-Mountain West honorable mention cornerback. I think 6'2", 200, he's a guy that's going to be able to come in and lend some immediate uh, athletic ability, some immediate experience to the cornerback position, which is a position of need, right? Yeah, he should fill the Woody Washington role as vet guy that can come in, and he's big physical so you shouldn't worry about the wear and tear of the sec that gives oklahoma a different body type just because um wagner and gentry are a little undersized Macari vickers i wouldn't classify him as undersized and certainly not kobe johnson but uh it's a pretty diverse room as far as height weight size speed all that stuff it's not the old speed d where like they needed you to be this tall and run this speed and they'll teach you how to play whatever later and then never actually taught anyone how to play anything but um but outside of, I mean, Woody Washington hasn't officially announced anything either way, but I think the expectation, everyone's trending toward expecting Woody to uh, go pursue some pro opportunities after the Alamo Bowl. And uh, outside of that, like Gentry, everyone would be like, yes, stoked about him if he could just play the whole year. Everyone knows the story on just how many injuries he dealt with. And then behind that, can I walk? I don't think is someone you trust to go a whole season as the starter. Um, Corey Vickers, Josiah Wagner, Jacoby Johnson just didn't get a ton of opportunities to have a huge bit of run. And I think that much like offensive line, it's like they've got talent recruited, but I don't feel I would not label that group SEC ready without a couple of additions. 
I would not label this cornerback group like they are more unproven with an incomplete talent there, but they need somebody to kind of be the glue to hold that together. And I think Oklahoma's hoping that that can be a veteran in Des Malone. Oh, you picked up a, uh, a wide receiver in the portal as well, Dion Burks. Second team all Big Ten at Purdue. He was regarded by some, I don't know who grades this, but he was regarded by some as the best wide receiver in the transfer portal. Oklahoma got him some like 670 yards receiving last year. Very productive, very experienced, um, but a guy who uh, is going to come in and fill some spots immediately. for. Uh, and I, when I say immediately, I'm talking about next semester, spring spring football, 2024, SEC, not for the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, yeah, and he's someone that, depending on where you looked, he was like a consensus top five receiver in the portal with all the portal rankings, all that stuff. Very explosive after the catch. He's like 5'9", 5'10", but an absolute speedster. He's one of those guys that he hits you on it. You hit him on a slant, and if he can get away from the first guy, he might just run and run and run. He does have drop issues. That That's probably the biggest thing. Like last year was his breakout year this past season, excuse me, two years ago. He, he was around Purdue, but but wasn't like a huge, huge contributor. If you look at his drop rate, his drop rate is like ridiculously high, which is something he'll have to uh, hone in, obviously, with Emma Jones. That may just be first year as a breakout guy, struggle with focus, maybe just unlucky with bad balls coming in that get attributed to him. Uh, also, PFF grading is not perfect by any means. So it, it's more of a, uh, I don't take that as the law as much as just a, hey, just just something of note. His drop rate is outside the norm. Uh, but he also just needs to come in and be a complimentary piece with an Angel Anthony returning off an injury, a Nick Anderson, a Jaden Gibson, a Jalil Farouk. You feel like you've got great production there. He can just come in. He's he's a proven guy. He's got that speed. If he he mops that up, he's going to be a huge piece of the Oklahoma offense. And even if he doesn't, to be the third or fourth option and have a guy that can house it like that, yes, you take that every time. It's not a big, big concern. I, I just wonder if he's more of a second or third option than a guy that can fight for maybe a surprise first option or whatever. Uh, but it also, too, Emmett Jones has signed a really big wide receiver class. I really like this because it gives – those guys one year to like, if they can push great immediately, if not, then you bring Jaquez Petaway along, let those guys develop any. And then in a year from now, when you would assume that Andrew Anthony's headed off, Julio Farouk's headed off, Burks will have the option to head off. Like you'll, you'll have those guys ready to, to slot on in and fill in, in in year two in the sec in the 2025 season. If they don't enter the transfer portal, shockingly wow. and suddenly whenever <laughs> that happens, uh, guaranteed somebody will, um, and then I think we talked last week about the uh, the offensive lineman from Michigan State, Spencer Brown. He's going to play tackle. He's going to replace Rouse, we presume, at left tackle. Two-year he'll, starter. He'll be on the right side. He'll Sexton's be on the right. Okay, he, he has played right tackle, but I was thinking he was probably going to – they were going to go with Sexton on the left. And or, uh, You're right. Se- what you said is correct. I misunderstood what I was thinking earlier. Sexton will be on the left, we presume, uh, and then uh, the new guy, Spencer Brown, will be on the right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that should be all buttoned up, and that's that's one piece of an experienced offensive line. Now Oklahoma suddenly, like I mean, John, I think they got to go get two starters at guard, frankly. Yeah, and then a depth piece. Like they probably need three more guys in the offensive line. Have you ever heard anybody say they misunderstood what they said? Because <laughs> I just did. Seriously, I was like left side, right side, right side, left side. Hey, we were zooming through everyone. There's been so much left, right, guard, ta- you know. Yeah, but, I knew uh, what I meant. I just didn't know what I said. Um, yeah, exactly. Here's an interesting note. Spencer Brown played against 
Davis Bevel in the Chick-fil-A Bowl back in 2021. The, that was another opt-out palooza. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Bowl games are getting weird. But they're almost not fun to watch anymore. I don't know. Well, unless you got a true freshman quarterback looking to make his first start, which was, uh, you know, who we talked to yesterday in Norman. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're right. He, he was good. We'll talk about him uh, talking to the press, what he said yesterday during his first interview as QB1 in Norman. So your outgoing names are Caden Green. Tyler Guyton, Andrew Rame, Kelvin Gilliam, Dalen Smothers, Marcus Major, Key Lawrence, which surprised me, Savion Bird, which surprised me a little bit. We talked about this last week. Uh, Reggie Grimes, uh, Nate Anderson, Dylan Gabriel, Tawi Walker, who's playing in the Alamo Bowl, Jason Llewellyn, DJ Graham, and then Marcus Hicks uh, left back in November. So, like Ryan said at the top, a bunch of guys who probably just need a new, a fresh start, um, including, frankly, Dylan Gabriel, knowing that um, something that went under the radar last week, Ryan, when Brent was asked about by me, I guess, was that me? Was that my question? No, it was, uh, it was a trammel followed up with, um, with what happened with Dylan. I thought this went under the radar. He said Dylan knew he was welcome to come back and compete. Don't let that slide. Don't let that flow under the bridge like it's like there's nothing there. Those are carefully chosen words. Dylan knew he was welcome to come back and compete. In other words, if Dylan, he he's welcome to come back, but he's going to be in the quarterback room competing with Jackson Arnold. They weren't anointing him as the starter just because he had been a four-year starter in college. This is Jackson Arnold's time. Wow. I thought that was powerful. Yeah. And you had, um, like, you kind of pair that with Dylan was in this spot as the young guy. This is paraphrasing. At UCF, Dylan was thrust into a role, but then he, he obviously, as a true freshman, was excellent. And so it was like the young guy that the, the team wanted to roll with, except in that situation, Dylan was what Jackson Arnold is now. And you, uh, listen to, you know, what we're going to get into with Jack Starlet here in a second, where he kind of talked about, yeah, once Dylan made his decision and then Jeff Levy was at Mississippi State, Oklahoma still was absolutely the number one spot for him, which makes me wonder if Dylan was still at Oklahoma, if that would have been more of a thought process. And that's where you get into, uh, yeah, you're welcome to come back and compete, but this guy's the guy. We're not losing three years of Jackson Arnold for one more year of Dylan Gabriel. That would be uh, a bad, bad, bad situation for how you develop your quarterbacks and get that quarterback room trucking along. If if Jackson Arnold is everything that the coaching staff truly believes he will be, which is a stud. Yeah, and Jackson said at some point during the interview, and well, again, we'll talk about this more in depth coming up, uh, but he said at some point that was something that I had to evaluate. That's something I had to think about was what Dylan was going to do. Was I going to stay or was I going to go somewhere else? Hmm, Interesting. Tell you what we'll do. We'll uh, we'll talk about Jackson Arnold. We'll continue the conversation when we come back. Uh, plus, you gotta you gotta spend a lot of time on Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman and that whole scenario. That is the two biggest recruiting wins in Brent Venables' career so far. Uh, maybe that and and uh, Dylan Gabriel. I don't know how hard they had to work on Dylan Gabriel, right? But uh, they did get him. Got him for two years. And uh, don't forget. It's SEC Day here in Oklahoma. We'll tell you more about that next on the All Sooners Podcast. 
Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Hey, if you're on Twitter, uh, give uh, all underscore Sooners a follow. You can find me at John E. Uber. Ryan is at Ryan uh, underscore Ryan Chapman. Ross is at Ross Lovelace. Simple enough. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. You're going to want to follow him for all the latest recruiting. He's been busy. He's been a busy, busy boy. And uh, National Signing Day is one week from today. I'm not sure how we're going to handle that. We're going to be in Norman. We're going to be podcasting. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, but we'll have it for you at allsooners.com. We'll uh, lay out a plan and uh, have, have some good coverage for you. Uh, the website, by the way, again, always, allsooners.com is a Fan Nation affiliate and is part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, it's free. It's all free at All Sooners. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. Segment two of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Do you know what your largest risk in retirement is? It's longevity, unfortunately, because the longer you live, the more likely you are to run out of money. The more likely the stock market is going to crash, or the more likely taxes are going to go up. All that stuff, including inflation. Inflation is going to eat into your retirement funds the longer you live, right? So there's only one way to take longevity off the table as a risk, and that is with guaranteed lifetime income. If you don't have guaranteed lifetime income stream in place, you may still be able to retire, but the math and science proves that you are probably not going to be happy in retirement because you're going to be afraid of running out of money. It happens. We see it all the time. So let us show you how to make sure you have guaranteed paychecks coming in to cover your basic expenses. And then you can use your other investments for your paychecks. Visit the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more or call 512 710 0130. Just to let you know, Infinite Asset Advisors is owned and operated by lifelong Sooner fans. So give them a call, get on the website, send them an email, check it out. All right, segment two, Ryan. We said we were going to save the best for last, and that is uh, Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman are coming back. What a performance. Um, what a production by Danny Stutzman. Billy Bowman went first. Billy Bowman, I think last Friday, said, I'm coming back to OU. Stutzman comes back a couple days later. Everybody had read the report previously that he was leaving. He declared, he hadn't declared for the draft, but he told Brent Venables that his intention was to go to the draft. And then he has a, he just has a change of heart. He talks to Venables again. He talked about it yesterday during interviews. Both of them did, actually, Bowman and Stutzman. But he has a, a change of heart. And he comes out and he says, uh, talks to his dad. I talked to Steve Stutzman. I'm pretty sure you talked to Steve Stutzman at some point. And they came up with the conclusion that he doesn't want to be Uncle Uncle Rico. 
where he's just sitting there going, sitting on the porch, chewing on a steak saying, man, you ever just wish you could go back? I could throw football over them mountains. I could, I'm a linebacker, so I could tackle them mountains. Um, but Danny Stutzman's coming back because he didn't want to have regrets. He, listen, you go to the NFL, who knows what's going to happen? You could get hurt as a rookie training camp, never playing a game, never play football again. And there you're sitting there looking back at, you could have had one more year as an Oklahoma Sooner in college football. He didn't want to have that. He wanted to play out as much as he could college football. You got to love him for that. Yeah, and, and he talked about, you know, um, he, he had to go into that first meeting with Brent Vindles with conviction because he's like, you don't go to Coach BV's office and not know what you're going to do because he said, otherwise you'll be there for like an hour as he's trying to talk you out of it. So he had, he had to go into that meeting knowing he was going to say, I think I want to declare and I, I'm going to declare for the NFL draft. Uh, but then he said that Brent Venables called him on Friday and just wanted to go everything over everything one more time. Then Friday night, Billy Bowman, um, he declares that he is returning. He is coming back. And Billy Bowman, he talked about just, hey, I feel like one of my strengths is self-awareness. I know I'm not the finished product. I wanted to come back to Oklahoma and become more of a finished product before he headed off to uh, the NFL. That's what Billy Bowman said yesterday. And, and Danny Sutz was asked, you know, we did that decision play into yours at all? We we so often think everyone's in their own lane making their own decision. Danny Stutzman actually said 200% Billy Bowman's decision to come back affected him and made him want to come back that much more as uh, you got Billy, you got Danny, you got Jalil Farouk, and there's uh, one or two other guys from that 2021 recruiting class that have been through the last year of Lincoln, these last two years, and we'll play in the SEC. They want to close that thing out together. So then from there, Danny said he was locked up in his room all weekend, mulling it over. He said it was a headache, one of the longest weeks of his life. And then he decided in proper to, to come on back. And that's where he said that, you know, the, the equipment staff had cleaned out his locker. That's where that Instagram post came from. He's like, it wasn't really trolling. It was just he came in and he saw his locker being empty, and that was his reaction they repurposed that video you saw from Brian Bos or with Brian Bosworth was actually shot like a month ago as part of a butt kiss award campaign that was never going to see the light of day as Danny was left off that semifinalist list. And so they just had to repurpose that a little bit. That's how you got the video. So Danny was like, I wasn't shooting videos and stuff. He's like, I don't think I left my room all weekend long. And that arrived him back at Oklahoma where he basically said, Brent Venables has poured too much into him. He 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 thought one more year was uh, was was the thing to do, and so now you've got a spine of the defense. You've got Danny Stutzman coming back. You got Billy Bowman coming back up the middle. Oklahoma's going to be veteran laden as they they need to make a big jump in defense yet again to to offset what we talked about in the first segment, which is who knows what this offense is going to look like because we don't know who's going to be blocking for Jackson Arnold and Gavin Sawchuck and those guys. Yeah. They may have to get like Friday night lights creative with their offensive line, but defensively, I think they're this establishes, like I said at the top, um, something about Brent Venable's culture because Steve Stutzman told me a more he got a more than favorable draft grade, all right, draft projection. Um, he, he declined to tell me what that was, but more than favorable. What is that second round for Danny Stutzman? And he said. If anybody else would have gotten this draft projection, they would be going to the NFL. Danny wanted to come back and play one more year of college football. You know, that's probably a dad sticking his neck out a little bit. I've done that a few times for my sports kids. 
you know, the, you know, you're not going to find anybody faster. You're not going to find anybody who cares more, works hard. Well, you know, it's, it's athletics, but I think what this teaches us is when Brian Bosworth speaks, we need to open our ears and listen to what he's saying. Ryan, when I ran into the Boz in the men's room, of all places, at Boone Pickens Stadium, we're standing there and washing our hands, and I go, Brian. He looks at me. He goes, hey, how's it going? I said, what's with the Mohawk? And he goes, oh, that was for Danny's deal. For Danny, for Danny's deal. And I was like, cool. Don't know what that means. He had just done the Mohawk because that was the week that they were pairing down to the um, – semifinalists of the Butkus Award. So he had just shaved the mohawk. It was fresh. It was a fresh cut. And you can see him in those photos, in that photo shoot and in that video. Fresh mohawk. So that's when they did the video. That's exactly when they did the video. And he told me without telling me. And I was like, damn, I wish I had been paying attention. What deal? Ask a follow-up question. You're the Hoover, you're the king of the follow-up questions. You're the king of annoying somebody with follow-up questions. Go ahead and ask. I should have asked. What deal? What, Danny, what do you mean? What deal? I had my hand-washing hat on and not my reporter hat on. I was about to say, you can be forgiven for, uh, I think all of us in the bathroom are not thinking of, I need four follow-ups and also there's a <laughs> game going on out there that I'm also in the middle of covering as well. I think you can yeah. be forgiven uh, for that. Danny did confirm, though, it wasn't a mink coat. It was the mink coat. It yeah. was very sw- – it was not a replica. It was the coat from very – that. Great care was taken to make sure, okay, I need that back after you're done with the photos. I got to get that. I have spoken. I have put my word on that coat safely arriving back at the king's house. So uh, that that was uh, key for Stutzman to not uh, mess with the coat too much. Also doesn't get to keep the Corvette. That's a bummer. Yeah. Does he even get to keep the license plate? Maybe. Maybe. We, did, we didn't ask like about the license plate. Actual license plate. Did it say Florida? I can't remember. No, it, it was an Oklahoma plate. Oklahoma plate. All right. What a production. That was a uh, cool video. Uh, I'll do respect to Billy Bowman for doing it his way. <laughs> but uh, Stutzman is, uh, you know, the sunglasses and the and the Jordans and the Corvette and the fur coat and the icon of Brian Bosworth. Damn. That was impressive. Anyway. Vocal leader? Silent leader. It all yeah, fits. It all makes sense. Everyone made their announcement the correct way. I think. You got it. Exactly right. But as I said, getting those two guys back who had an opportunity to go to the NFL and leave this life behind. They both said, uh, I want to play college football for as long as I can. And you have to admire that, um, that characteristic in both guys. And as I said at the top, maybe this is an indicator that Brent Venables has established and built a, a culture here that guys it, that is attractive to guys. And now you start, you can start to recruit to that. You can start to recruit to the fact that, Hey, I had a, a possible first round, maybe second round linebacker who came back for his senior year uh, and, a, and a safety who had an option and he came back for his senior year. Those are, uh, those are now recruiting angles that Brent Venables can use. Another one that he can use is uh, Jackson Arnold is a freshman quarterback who is starting the bowl game. Again, they're not afraid to play freshman, Caden Green. They're not afraid to play freshman, but uh, here's Jackson Arnold as a true freshman finishing up his first season. He's going to start the bowl game. He had a lot to say yesterday, Ryan. 
Yeah, it, it was a really interesting interview, and I encourage you just head over to allsooners.com, watch it. It's right up there. Uh, if you go to the story that I wrote where Jack snarled, the headline is, uh, you know, he's pumped for uh, the opportunity. Just first off, good story by uh, a, a subpar writer, but I thought it was a good story. You did the great. should be at the top. The video should be at the top, too. But uh, it, it might be an easier way to sift through that. But I, he covered a lot. We, we talked a little bit about how he, he had said there would have been a decision to probably make if Gabriel was coming back. But with Gabriel leaving – he has built a good relationship with Seth Luttrell. I think he got to build a unique relationship with Luttrell because it was Luttrell's first year as an analyst in the spring. It was Arnold's first year. So we kind of talked about they were learning the terminology and the offense together because they had the same experience and that he's just been a guy that they're really comfortable with. He's enjoyed Seth Luttrell taking over. He's like, you can tell he's been a head coach with just the quiet confidence he has in the meeting room and the way he commands a meeting room. Uh, Arnold had talked about how, you know, you might not get to see full Seth Luttrell offense flavor and stuff in the bowl game just because they're still using Levy's terminology and all that stuff and the big changes will happen this spring. But he's a guy that's excited to show it off. And I, we know that Jack Arnold's confident, but I think it takes a level of confidence to be able to admit, too, that, yeah, the first couple of days at practice were kind of weird because all the corrections need to be made. He's used to, like, Dylan being that guy that comes in. Like, hey, we need to do this rep over again for this, this, and that. And Jackson was like, that has to be me now. And so it was a little awkward, different, whatever at first. But it didn't take but one or two practices for him to be like, okay, no, I need to jump back in. And I'm that guy now. And when we talked to McCain Mattire, when you talked to Jill Farouk, they almost, like, they're respectful, but they almost like scoffed at questions. They're just like, yeah, Jackson's a dude. We're not worried about him whatsoever. There's literally no worry at all about making that transition from Dylan to Jackson. Full faith. No one's even like talked about it because it's just like, yeah, that's our guy. Uh, his uh, first regular season start is going to be um, as a quarterback in the Southeastern Conference. Not the first game. They'll play a non-conference game, of course. But next year, this time next year, they're going to be wrapping up their first year in the SEC. Ryan, it's SEC Day here in Oklahoma. In other words, the SEC and the SEC Network are revealing Oklahoma's schedule, as well as everybody else's. But you're watching this because it's the All Sooners podcast. The uh, schedule for 2024 is going to be set. It is set right now, but it's going to be announced, revealed uh, tonight, 6, 6 o'clock p.m. on SEC Network. We'll have the story, of course, when this when the news breaks, but uh, oh, here's what we know. Um, OU versus Tennessee in Norman, uh, September 21st. Josh Heupel coming back home as the head coach, September 21st, and then uh, November 23rd. Is the uh, is the Alabama Crimson Tide and presumably Nick Saban right coming back uh, coming to Norman? That'll be November twenty third. We don't know really much of anything else. We have some inklings about when the Texas game will be played. I think it'll be early. I don't think it'll be that second uh, Saturday. I think it'll be the first Saturday, but we'll see. A couple of open dates next year uh, in the schedule. Uh, we know the three non conference games. By the time you uh, listen to four or watch this podcast, games. sorry, what? It's the four non-conference games. Four, that's right. Four non-conference games. Thank you. Yeah. How did you forget that. the main Black Bears? That, yeah. That's your guys, too. That's right. Uh, they're going to be uh, coming to Norman. My guess is November. We don't have any of that confirmed, but we'll know tonight, Ryan. Um, and a lot of people are going to be watch, watching this podcast or listening to this podcast after the show, so... 
good on you. But uh, if you're if you're watching it, if I'm able to get this sucker posted before, get your SEC hats on because it's going to be a uh, it's going to be fun tonight to see what the SEC does with Oklahoma schedule. Yeah, and we already know the matchups, right? We know who OU will play on the road, who they'll play at home. We know yep. all of that. It's just filling out the dates. But I think the interesting thing that uh, maybe people are not used to, I know that there's the excitement because it's the first SEC schedule. Where do the two buys fall? That's always the easiest talking point coming out. What's the trap game? Uh, they're all trap games. The schedule's really hard. <laughs> but look at the final college football playoff rankings and then go, oh, that team's on the schedule, that team – but no, with the new, with the way college football is going to operate next year, of the Big Ten exclusively being on Fox, CBS, NBC, the SEC being a hundred percent in-house with ESPN slash ABC. ABC paid like a bill for the one CBS game of the week, uh, and the SEC are all of ESPN ABC's number one games. All the Big Twelve stuff will be backfilled after they set the SEC schedule, so not. Every single game will come out with a kickoff time, but there will be a handful of kickoff times for next year announced Wednesday night. That's something new uh, that no fans are used to because it's new to the SEC this year as well. On Good Morning America this morning, they officially announced the Georgia-Alabama date, which had been reported by ESPN already. But they also was like, oh, by the way, it's 7.30 Eastern on ABC. Like They were like, we have a kickoff time and channel. Greg Sankey talked about that with us uh, in the Cotton Bowl press box, is that a bunch of the 11 a.m. games, you'll know in like June what those games are, June, July, somewhere in there. So yeah. we'll know SEC kickoff times, at least for the big games, probably well in advance, which will make sifting through the week-to-week a little bit easier because it's not going to be – 12 games of unknown kickoff times for Oklahoma. We might get two or three of those uh, Wednesday night. That makes it so much easier as a, as a fan, I'm, I'm assuming, but certainly as a sports writer to know your kickoff time is set. And those things can always change too. So don't like bet the house on anything, but it just makes it so much easier. If you know it's a night game, maybe you can roll in that morning. If you know it's a morning game, you know you have to roll in the night before Friday night. And, you, you know, you can get the heck out of there on Saturday and get on the way back home. Traveling in the Big 12 was always like, like my wife would, and she never understood the the, the context of, well, how do you not know the kickoff time? It's it's just a few days away. It's, it's, it's next week. The game is next week. How do you not know what time they're going to kick off? Because it's the Big 12. <laughs> and that's the way they do their business with their net, with their TV networks. SEC doesn't always do it that way. SEC simplifies things and says, you know what? Let's figure it out in February and March when all these teams are going to kick off. It's great. SEC also has a map in their office, and they don't take their media data to Las Vegas, despite the fact that it's in none of their media markets. (laughs) That is west of the Western schools. Like, okay, that's Cool. cool. It doesn't matter, though. We'll be in Dallas for SEC Media Days. We will. Where, where SEC Media Days belongs in Dallas. <laughs> the, Why the not? Big 12, I Look, it could just be a scheduling thing, but the optics of year one of OU yeah. and Texas being yeah. in the SEC, and in year one, you're not holding Media Day where your conference headquarters are, and you yeah. have to go to Vegas, Vegas while the SEC is already locked down. That, 
so there's no other there's no other places in the city of Dallas or the the metroplex of Dallas Fort Worth to hold Big Twelve Media Days. There's no other spots. You have to fly everybody to Dallas. Is that is that what I'm being told? Your mark's done a lot I'm of sorry, good. Vegas. Initially, since adding teams, he's taken the basketball programs to New York City. He's yep. taken the marquee game, Kansas and Houston, and gave it to Mexico City yep. in basketball. Um. College sports ain't the NBA and ain't the NFL, brother. Uh, I I I don't know if you're going to be continuing nice w, to, to nice hit WWE uh, hint there, by the way. Yeah, brother. yeah. Well, he he runs it more like WWE than he does <laughs> uh, just a normal. I'm just like, it's what Greg Sankey always says. They expanded without getting outside of their footprint and yep. the big 12 no longer they i don't think they know what a like what their footprint is like they're in new york city they're in vegas whatever it's anyway i would have loved a trip to vegas uh comped but uh i guess we can't comp sports book losses i don't think that all sooners covers those but nope. uh the buffet would have been uh, i would have picked some buffets out we would have been good we're gonna get some jack links and we're gonna go to vegas brother and it's gonna be a throwdown at big 12 media days okay if it is in the sphere, though, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Hey, if it is at the sphere, we might go cover it just in case. Somebody t- tweeted at me, so you're going to cover Oklahoma State now? And I said, for a trip to Vegas? Hell yeah. <laughs> it might. <laughs> just might. Mike Gundy, how you doing? Good to see you out here in the casinos. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Anyways, I that was not on the rundown. I'm sorry. I no, just... that was good. It was actually on my rundown. <laughs> oh, okay. I, it was not on the rundown given to me. <laughs> So um, a couple of quick uh, news and notes that I wanted to get to. Um, OU, has, Brent Venables, OU, has hired a couple of offensive assistants to help Seth Luttrell with quarterbacks. Remember when Seth Luttrell's never coached quarterbacks. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not going to be able to coach Jackson Arnold. Well, Brent Venables went out and hired a couple of guys who were going to help him with quarterback technique understanding of the offense, looking for options, whatever it is, whatever the nuances that go into coaching quarterbacks on the Division One football level. Uh, Brent Venables hired a guy by the name of Jack Lowry. He's a former Missouri quarterback. He was Drew Locke's backup for three years. He worked with Josh Heupel at, ten- at uh, Missouri, and then Josh Heupel hired him at Tennessee to be uh, an assistant quarterbacks coach. So he's going to be the assistant QB coach helping Seth Luttrell. Uh, and then another guy... Ty Hatcher was hired. He's a former quarterback at Samford, where Samford, not Stanford, Samford uh, in Alabama. Um, his dad is the head coach there. So his dad is a college football head coach. Okay. Uh, he worked previously for Texas A&M, where he learned under who? Jimbo and Bobby Petrino most recently. So He's going to be an offensive GA. The word is that he's got an extremely sharp coaching mind, that both of these guys have been on a coaching fast track since they were players. Uh, Their head coaches and their offensive coordinators and their position coaches are like, that dude's going to be a coach. So a couple of good young minds to get in there and um, help. I presume uh, since they've already announced on their Twitter bios that they work for OU, I presume that they're going to be helping out with the Alamo Bowl December 28th in San Antonio. Yeah, and and this fits with uh, I I think that this might be the biggest program piece that Brent lifted from Dabo and his time at Clemson, 
which was they were very successful with their it's the paw program i think which is similar to it's their version of the soul mission it's where brent got his inspiration for the soul mission they were able to routinely get guys on the defensive line to stay one more year that everyone thought they were probably going to stay in college football to chase championships they were able to absolutely load up on talented young coaching minds as gas and then analysts and there was not a lot of attrition at the staff level at clemson but when they did, they were able to promote from within, and that way people are familiar with Clemson, how they run things, stuff like that. Well, we've already seen Jeff Levy leaves. What's happening? A promotion from within, Seth Luttrell off the analyst bench into the starting lineup as the OC alongside Joe John Finley. Some of those uh, support staffers go with, and now you reload with guys that have been fast-tracked into coaching and bright young minds. And so be interested to see what effect they have, um, and it's kind of – a, if, if they get hired away, then then great. But B, it's also a fail-safe in case you get more guys uh, churned off your staff, which is ultimately a sign of a healthy program if yeah. you are doing so well on both sides of the ball that people are coming after your assistance. Yeah, and I'm told that Matt Wells is is high on Brent Venables' list to to help out, continue staying Norman and coach quarterbacks and help out with quarterbacks and whatnot as an offensive uh, analyst. But Matt Wells has been up for head coaching jobs and offensive coordinator jobs. So he's looking for, you know, that next big opportunity while, you know, thanking Brent and saying, hey, keep me in mind, whatever, whatever their communication level is. uh, Matt Wells is a guy that would absolutely serve the program in a positive manner, in a a hugely positive manner if he sticks around for another year. Um, But it sounds like he might want to, um, you know, be a head coach again. Who, Who wouldn't? After you've been a head coach, I would think it's tough to to sit in that um, that role. Um, you got any more um, observations from practice that you saw that you wanted to get to before we jump into basketball? Um, rattling through it, we hit some of the bigger ones. Tommy Walker's there, obviously. Some of the – it's difficult to get a true head count because um, we it's finals week, so finals. some guys are in and out. And on top of that, with some of the scout team guys, people were wearing different numbers. Like in the running back room, um, you were sifting through. We didn't see Dalen Smothers. I believe I saw Caleb Hicks, but I believe I saw Caleb Hicks wearing a different number, um, which made some of the just math on that hard to like be like, wait a minute, there's not a zero, but that looks, he runs exactly like Caleb Hicks. It looks like him in the face mask. I think that's Caleb Hicks, but stuff like that. But uh, there were so many coaches that were in and out, like we mentioned, recruiting. Guys that were not in and out, Seth Luttrell, Joe John Finley. And and Jackson Arnold had moved up to the top spot in the stretching line where Dylan Gabriel has been the last yeah. two years. And the whole time, Seth Luttrell, kind of a quieter, unassuming guy that was just standing right off to the side of Jackson. Joe John at one point walks up, and when Jackson's bended down to touch his toes, Joe John's the one lightly pressing on him to make sure he's stretched out while Joe John's talking to him. And then when they broke out to those individual drills, immediately it's Joe John and Seth Luttrell. It's the quarterbacks throwing to kind of the the wide receivers doing some routes on air, stuff like that, for what we were able to see. And Joe John's out with the wide receivers, but he's also talking back toward Jackson Seth Luttrell had something to say for Jackson every time he throws, steps back, then it's Bevel and Booty, those guys. You could tell of all the guys that were, hey, you can maybe step out and be on the recruiting trail. We need our new co-OCs, Luttrell and Finley, to be there, to be around, to be present, to put their fingerprints on this thing as quickly as they can. I just thought that was pretty interesting that uh, you know Ted Roof was out there, Todd Bates was out there, 
So it looked like Chavis, okay, Bates is doing all the defensive line stuff as Chavis goes and recruits. Uh, you, you had DeMarco Murray. The running backs are kind of policing themselves over there. They, they had, uh, you know, personnel over there. But uh, it, it it just seemed really interesting that not just one, but both Joe John and Seth Luttrell were there and highly active around the quarterbacks, which which makes all the sense in the world. I wonder if that would have been different if, like, Dylan was playing in the bowl game. It's like, okay, Dylan, you run this. Yep. You can go and sneak out, stuff like that. I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, your young quarterback needs a little guidance there in his first couple of practices for the bowl game. Absolutely makes sense. And I'll reiterate something that I said, I think, last week uh, about Seth Luttrell. Every practice that was open, every practice session that was open to the media, uh, we could see the quarterbacks out there. You know, Jeff Levy's, you know, standing back here watching, and he's got his arms crossed. And then right next to him or right behind him every time was Seth Luttrell. And Seth, you know, they'll break up into groups and Seth will turn and go watch the running backs for a few minutes and then the quarterbacks get to doing something and he'll go back and watch the quarterbacks. He's been very, very involved since he's been here with the quarterbacks, uh, not necessarily coaching them because that's against the rules. As an analyst, you're not allowed to walk up and say, why don't you look at this guy and see the blitz are coming and pick up the protection here. You can't do that. It's against the rules, especially during open practice when the media is watching. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, but uh, he has been watching and talking to the coaching staff since he's been there. So um, very closely, I should say. Um, this basketball team, Ryan, has been, um, I'll just say it, they've been surprisingly good. All the new pieces that, you know, for the last three years, Porter Moser has said, I've got some new pieces. We're going to work on some chemistry. We're going to build some roles over here. These guys are going to do this, and those guys are going to do that. He's tried and tried and tried. He's been doing the mad scientist thing, pouring the chemicals, and it's blown up in his face the first couple of years. This year, it looks like he's got a pretty smooth operation going with all the new pieces. He does, and again, I've mentioned a couple of times, but um, when you sift through it, I think only... Rivaldo Suarez, Latrey Darthard, and uh, Max. Uh, I still can't pronounce his last name, but you know Max when you see him roll out there. I Klancic. think they're the ones Is it that, yeah, that uh, cannot return next year. So he's found a Javon McCollum. John Hughley's got uh, years left. I think Godwin's got one more year. Um, Hughley we mentioned, McCollum, Jalen Moore. Obviously, as they bring on Caden Cooper and uh, J. Cole, Jacob Cole, like – he, he'll be able to have it both ways if he built through the portal, but he also has his program guys. Obviously, he'll take away Milo Suzan and John. They had a huge week. We talked about the Providence yes. win on the last podcast. They went up to the BOK Center, your neck of the woods in Tulsa, and it was a, a back and forth first half, but Oklahoma turned on the burners to close the first half on a 14 to 2 run. Arkansas came out and threw some punches. Uh, figuratively trying to get back to the basketball game. OU settled it down. Eric Musselman tried to actually punch the rep. I'm kidding. Eric Musselman just did what Eric Musselman does, which is I'm mad. My team is losing. I'm going to go get two technicals, try to fire them up. But also, I don't have to coach anymore, so that's fun too. Uh, the must bus was parked in the locker room for the last like 10 minutes of that game. It's a Tulsa tradition. It is. In two or three years, uh, Musselman has not finished out the second half in his <laughs> coach's box over there. And uh, But while all that was going, and I asked Porter what was the key to keep your guys calm, because OU went on a huge run while the tees were flying, and Porter was like, well, I appreciate that, but like, Sora's got a tee, and OA got a tee, and I was like, yeah, but 
Oe got one for celebrating, and Sora's got one for saying something we allegedly to the bench that sparked Eric Musselman just losing his mind, which I think is a net win. Uh, but anyway, uh, Oklahoma on the court, play wise, they kept their head, and and that was really a fifteen to twenty point type victory. Arkansas never give up; they're pressing to the end. They've got a lot of pride. They cut it they, down to nine. It was not they, a, had, they were fighting the walk ons at the last two minutes. Yeah, of the game, so come on, yeah. It, it was not a nine-point victory. They made all that up in the last two minutes after Porter emptied the bench, and the result is they're knocking on the top ten. They're 11th in the country. Uh, if Gonzaga drops one to UConn on Friday night, Oklahoma and North Carolina might be a top ten matchup in Charlotte next weekend or next Wednesday. Who had that on their bingo card coming into yeah. the year? Yeah. 9-0 right now. Um they're playing some really high level hoops. Uh, everybody's everybody's got a role. What's impressive is it looks like everybody's got a role and everybody is really maximizing what they do in that role. Whether it's transition points, whether it's uh, pressure on the edge, on the perimeter, um, whether it's shooting, three-point shooting, they do it, but they don't overdo it. Um, I've been impressed all the way around number 11 in the country. A couple of breaking news items for you. They're Andy Katz's national team of the week. There's that. Bowl. And then uh, new tip time tomorrow. Central Arkansas has been moved to 6 p.m. So you that is not tomorrow. That is the Alamo Bowl. That's the day of the Alamo Bowl. Oh, the Alamo they, Bowl. That's two weeks. Two weeks. They've moved that yes. tip time up to not conflict with the Alamo Bowl. The next my outing. Schedule. Let me get my schedule here. Yeah. The next outing is actually Saturday night. It That's is an right. 8 p.m. tip at the Lloyd Noble Center for the mighty Green Bay Phoenix. Uh, OU's running graduation stuff that day, so 8 p.m. is the quickest they can get the Lloyd Noble Center yeah. turned around, uh, get that thing rolling. So 8 p.m. Saturday against Green Bay. Then they'll head to Charlotte. Yep. Then they've got Central Arkansas and Monmouth. I don't remember what order that's in, but they'll play North Carolina and Charlotte, and then they'll close out with Central Arkansas and Monmouth. Central Arkansas obviously happening on December 28th. Yep. They have the Alamo Bowl. That tip time has been moved up. That way uh, the broadcast won't clash as little as possible between uh, OU Central Arkansas hoops and then the Sooners in Arizona back on the gridiron in San Antonio. Why did I think that was tomorrow? Hey, a basketball game tomorrow would have been news to me. So that's good that we don't have that. You got hoops to cover tomorrow. We should talk to Porter tomorrow. We've been doing Thursday for the Saturday home game. So that tomorrow or Friday, if you head over to all Sooners, there'll be more basketball content. Um, I mean, if you looked at it, too, this was tossed out there. Sam Godwin right now is leading the nation in offensive rebounds per 100 possessions. Hmm. That's the guy that Eric Musselman just waxed poetic about. Like, Musselman was talking about some of the issues they're having with his team as guys buying into roles. And then he's like, Sam Godwin might be the best role player. He's like, he might be the best role player in the country. That's what Eric Musselman talked about, a guy that knows my job is to board and screen and if the ball finds me it finds me and you could tell that Musman had a great admiration for how Godwin and Hughley those guys will just flat out play their butt off for the four minute shift and then they know the other guys coming in and, and, and it's a an unselfish group and, and you could tell that Musman really really admired that uh, from what he could see in the locker room in the second half interesting good stuff man I appreciate it Ryan as always yeah absolutely and we'll uh like we said, plenty and plenty of content. I mean, shoot, we between now and next Wednesday, you've got another hoops game. You've got Randall headed down to the DFW for some high school recruiting. We'll have National Signing Day. The early signing period opens next Wednesday. 
Everyone have a Merry Christmas. It will be in San Antonio. So just uh, go to allsooners.com. You never know what's going to pop its way to the front page. Bowl game is two weeks away. Hard to believe. It's weird to think about. It is weird to think about. Uh, it was weirder. I think I think Randall might have had a little heart attack yesterday. And I was like, hey, man, just remember, signing day is a week away. And he's like, there's no way. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> comes on your face. Comes comes on your fast. He's going to be in both San Antonio and Orlando for uh, Oak to cover Oklahoma's All-Americans. Uh, Oklahoma's got, I think, eight this year All-Americans. I think they had something like 14 guys last year in that 2023 class were uh, All-American level. And uh, this year, a bunch more. He'll be covering all those as well. So looking forward to that. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait to do this because whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trusts, just like Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio, they'll get you on your way to taking control of your financial future. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just head over to their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, Randall's jumping in. We're going to hit recruiting the portal, all that good stuff. That's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And uh, if you like us, drop us a nice rating, five stars. Help us get the word out. Help us grow this thing. We want to be able to grow and get that get that uh, rating out there, get the, the podcast out there as much as possible. Share us on social media. Very helpful. Very, very helpful. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, leave a comment. All right, um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Randall has joined us, and he is, as I said in the previous segment, a busy, busy man. He's so busy, he's waiting on a call right now, this very second, from one Brendan Zerbrug, quarterback out of Ohio that is committed to Oklahoma and will early enroll for the Sooners. So if his phone goes off, we're going to pause the podcast. He's going to do the interview, and then we'll jump back in and uh, and make it work. He was actually expecting a call about an hour ago. So, Brendan, hook us up. If you're watching this, Brendan, you're on the clock. That's right. You're on the clock. Um, so you were at practice yesterday with Ryan. I had to sit that one out. It's having a little procedure done all as well. But um, you were at practice and you were shooting some video. You shot some practice highlights. Check it out at allsooners.com. Really good stuff there by Randall. Also shot the videos of the player interviews afterwards, but I wanted to get your observations from practice. What did you see? What stood out to you? A lot of new faces in new places for the Sooners um, and some people missing as well. What uh, what stood out to you? Well, the first thing that stood out, and I, I think that, that it's something that a lot of media members grabbed onto, was the fact that Tawi Walker was out there working out with the team. 
Uh, I mean, to be in the transfer portal and to be, again, still working towards that ball prep, it's not something that we haven't seen before. Josh Ellison did the same thing last season before transferring to Memphis, but it, it was notable to me. And again, with uh, Dalen Smothers in the portal, with Marcus Major in the portal, didn't see those guys out there. So the Sooners will need all that running back depth they can get in this bowl game, especially with uh, obviously some offensive linemen missing. No Caden Green out there yesterday. It was kind of interesting what his teammates had to say about that. Um, but as far as the coaching changes go, it was really interesting to see uh, Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell kind of in the middle of the field running things as opposed to Jeff Levy, right? All the other practices I've seen at camps and everything, it's been Jeff Levy there working with the quarterbacks, working with, uh, you know, when they're doing uh, routes on there, things like that, kind of coaching those guys. And so yesterday it was interesting to see the dynamic between Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley doing that. Obviously, Luttrell kind of hovering back around the quarterbacks, checking out what those guys are doing, speaking with Jackson Arnold. I saw him pull aside Arnold and Drake Stoops at one time. Those three guys had a good laugh. So check out that video. It's in the highlight reel on allsooners.com. Uh, but Joe John Finley, I, I was, again, obviously I wasn't there hearing what he was saying, but I was impressed by how he looked like he had command of practice. He looked like a natural OC out there. He had his, his clipboard running through or whiteboard or play sheet or whatever it was running through each individual drill, coaching guys up. He was giving high fives out to his tight ends as they would run by running their routes. I, I again, wasn't able to hear the actual coaching going on, but just from a uh, confidence and command standpoint, it really looked like Joe John Finley was was in control out there. He looked comfortable for a guy who's never been in that role before. Obviously, Luttrell, he's been a head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator. So he looked right at home, you know, in his OU hoodie, walking around, talking to support staff guys, talking to players, quarterbacks, stuff like that. Um, I think that uh, it seemed like everyone got got along really well. Jackson Arnold told us after practice that the first few days were kind of weird with the new group, but that now it was starting to get more more normal. Things were starting to run smoothly. And from what I saw on, on the offensive group, it really looked like they were smooth. Um, defensively, Danny Stutzman was out there working out with the with his group, the linebackers. He had a big, big elbow brace on, which we've kind of seen all season. But uh, again, that's that elbow brace is still there. He was there working out uh, after making that big announcement just a few days ago. Billy Bowman also out there working out. It was cool to see those guys kind of um, doing a lot of uh, taking a lot of a leadership role with so many coaches, you know, on the road recruiting stuff like that. Seeing. You, the guys you want to be your veteran leaders if you're OU, Billy Bowman, Danny Stutzman, the guys who will need to be your veteran leaders next season. It was it was cool to see those guys step up and, and, and kind of take command of that role. Yeah, it's, uh, it is cool to see uh, that transition continue and the growth continue for some of those guys. We're going to see a lot of new players when we uh, go cover the team, spring practice or maybe signing day. We'll talk to uh, the coaches or maybe – Brent Venables will even do what he did last year, which is have a February media day for all the newcomers. That would be impressive. Yeah. Randall, uh, he told us uh, at the uh, Alamo Bowl press conference, he was sitting right next to Jed Fish last week in San Antonio. So this wasn't a Zoom. We got to participate via Zoom, but he was there and he was taking questions. Brent was. And he said they're going to sign or they're going to take – Give or take, he said, around 35 to 37 new scholarship players. He said that's not as much as last year. Last year it was 42 in January joined the team. 42 newcomers. Crazy. Uh, but he said it's going to be close to that kind of transformation, similar uh, when it comes to the transfer portal. Uh, it'll be a little bit less than it was last year. He said they're going to try and take 27 high school players. And he said he thinks 20 of those will be mid-year transfers. So we'll arrive early enrollees January. We were going over the 
the names and some of the obvious ones, some of the ones who have announced, but there's apparently still a few out there that are kind of lingering that are waiting to be approved, waiting to graduate, whatever it is. So, um, and he also said that uh, they'll have 28 or 29, including the portal guys, mid-year players when they start in January. That's year three for Brent Venables next year. That's still a lot of turnover. And I guess, guys, what we're getting at is that this is the new normal for college football. You're going to expect to see a third to a quarter of your roster uh, completely new when the new semester starts, when the bowl game's over and players report back for for off-season winter workouts and conditioning and fitness and all that. That's the amount of new new players you're going to have. Whether you've got an, a returning coach, a new coach, uh, you know, a coach that's already built his philosophy and, and culture and established a foundation, doesn't matter. This is the new college football. Absolutely. And you have to think that in Oklahoma's case specifically, some of that um, huge turnover comes from, you know, year number two of Brent Venables and, and his new regime processing some of those guys out. And I think an even bigger aspect of it is the Sooners heading into the SEC next season. I think that uh, Brent Venables and company know that they can't head into, you know, one of the toughest college football conferences, if not the toughest college football conference uh, in America without tons of depth, tons of experience. I think that right now, uh, if you look at the, the way the team is currently constructed with the guys who have exited via the transfer portal and some of the guys who will you know, run out of eligibility, declare for the draft, things like that, uh, you'd be heading into the SEC with plenty of players who uh, people around the program like, who have plenty of promise, but who haven't played a lot of football, and especially not at a high level like SEC competition. I think you want to, if you're OU, you want to avoid uh, having to play a bunch of guys who've never played college fo- meaningful snaps in college football before, starting those guys out against the SEC. And I think you want to kind of, um, I don't want to say give them a crutch, but give them some time to, to ease into it more by supplementing that with some older players, some veteran guys who have more experience, who have more maturity, who can step in and, and kind of play those roles early while, you know, a younger player like, uh, you know, we talked about tight end. Devon Mitchell, great prospect. He's probably going to be a phenomenal tight end for OU. Is a 16-year-old, 17-year-old who you want starting in the SEC at day one? Probably not. You get a transfer tight end in. He's able to, to help the OU offense um, stay productive while Devon Mitchell learns the, the game, learns the SEC football more. And then as Devon Mitchell progresses throughout the season, he can kind of step in and take more of those snaps. And I think that that's the way that OU is going to approach a lot of these positions. Uh, not, you know, not exactly in that that method, but but a similar mold where you've got a veteran player who can – who can, especially early in the season, take a lot of those snaps while the younger players learn. Uh, and I think that we've already seen, uh, you mentioned it before the uh, before the episode started, uh, OU's differential right now is about negative 12 in the transfer portal, but some of those guys might be addition by subtraction. So I know people will see the big turnover numbers. People talk about exodus and norm and things like that. But I think that uh, a lot of this, like you said, is just the new normal in college football. Uh, there's a lot of roster turnover every year. I mean, the transfer portal this year, there's thousands of, literally thousands of kids in the portal. So I don't think that this is going to slow down anytime soon uh, unless the NCAA decides to step in and do something. Yeah, and we've seen the NCAA just today. Uh, there was a judge in Ohio that issued a temporary restraining order against the rule that blocks uh, uh, multi-year transfers. In other words, multi-year transfers, according to this uh, TRO, is now they're now immediately eligible. So that's going to be interesting to watch, see how that plays out. They're going to try to uh, make that injunction permanent, uh, supposed to be uh, late December. December 27th was the date. So 
it's just evolving so fast. It's evolving real time. And, and um, when you add NIL in as well, who's that? When, when you add the NIL factor in as well, it completely turns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, of course. Um, and, and what I wanted to transition to was uh, the story you had today, just yeah. posted literally about 40 minutes ago, on uh, Nate Roberts, the outstanding tight end from Washington, yep. Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> just won a second straight state championship. They beat Millwood and Jaden Nickens. Uh, yep. Jaden Nickens, of course, is committed to OU. Nate Roberts is not committed anywhere because, Randall, he told you, I'm getting ready to take a bunch of visits. Yeah. And, and so this is obviously, if, if for those who aren't familiar, Nate Roberts is one of the Sooners' priority targets in that 2025 class. He's one of the top tight ends in the country, rated the top one of the top three tight ends in the country by just about every recruiting service. Near a top 100 recruit in-state guy, obviously. I mean, for those who don't know, Washington is maybe 20 minutes, maybe, from Norman. So really a guy that you'd like to keep home if you're Oklahoma big 6'4", 235-pound athlete who can move, he can take hits and just keep on churning his feet. Uh, I was, I mean, every time I've seen him play in person, I've been impressed. And I know I'm no scout, but everyone else is too. I mean, Penn State, Ohio State, Iowa State, all these people were at a game at Southern Nazarene University between Washington and Jones, Oklahoma, just to see this kid play. If that doesn't tell you how special he is, uh, I don't know what will. But he said he's he's been to Ohio State, he's been to Penn State, he's been to Norman this fall for game day visits. So I think that uh, of the schools he's considering, those are definitely three that are near the top, if not at the top. Uh, and again, we've seen what Penn State's been able to produce out of their tight end room, uh, putting guys in the NFL, even recently with a guy like Pat Fryermuth. Uh, Ohio State, obviously, always their offense is always humming. They've put multiple tight ends into the NFL recently as well. Um, and so I think that those are those are two teams that OU is going to have to beat out. But like you said, Nate Roberts told us after the state championship game, I'm going to take as many visits as I can. I'm not rushing on a commitment. I think that he knows that he'll have his suitors uh, whenever he decides to make that choice. I think he knows that a plen- plenty of these teams, he's a priority for plenty of these programs. And I think that um, I think that OU still, I don't like, like he said, he's not going to rush to make a commitment. So I don't think that OU the end of the line is coming for OU. I think that they're still going to have plenty more work to do. They're going to have to continue to build and cultivate that relationship, maintain that connection uh, in order to beat out really good programs like Penn State, like Ohio State, like Alabama, some of the other schools who have offered him from around the country. But as it stands right now, I think OU sits in a great spot because, like he told me later in the interview, I I asked Nate, I said, well, now that Joe John Finley's Oklahoma's co-offensive coordinator, you know, he was the tight ends coach before, uh, your position coach being the co-offensive coordinator, potentially, does that does that change your mind at all? And he said, yeah, honestly, it does change my mind a little bit. And to quote him exactly, he said, puts a smile on my face, knowing that Joe John Finley now being the co-OC is going to have a say in potentially throwing the ball to the tight ends more, or just getting them utilized in the offense in a better way than maybe they were before. Um, and so it seems like OU, um, by promoting Joe John to co-offensive coordinator, they uh, really st- stuck one well with uh, Nate Roberts. It seems like that's really resonating well with him. I think that's going to give OU a big upper hand going forward, in addition to obviously the, lo- the location factor being just down the road. Devon and- Mitchell loves it, um, and certainly Nate Roberts loves it. You know, These are guys that are, are extremely every, – everybody in the country wants these tight ends. Right. And uh, Joe John Finley, you mentioned it at the top of this segment, that his his involvement in practice, his command of the practice as a, as a coach, as a position coach, but also now – co-offensive coordinator. It's got to be exciting if you're a tight end. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I talked to a few tight end recruits uh, in other tight end recruits in that 2025 class, Chase Lofton, to, to be specific, after Jeff Levy left. And he said, yeah, I, I he admitted he said I had a great relationship with Levy. I'll have to see how uh, this departure affects my decision because I have to see who they bring in now. And I haven't I haven't heard back from Chase yet, but I would assume that promoting Joe John Finley uh, probably resonated well with him as well. I think that um, having I mean, Seth Luttrell being a former fullback, Joe John Finley being a former professional tight end, former OU tight end, tight ends coach. I think that that's going to really resonate well with those H back tight end guys that OU's going to continue to recruit. Uh, and I think that that obviously it's resonated well with with uh, Demond Mitchell, like you said. So far, Nate Roberts has had a positive outlook on it, and I would imagine that as they continue to recruit some of these tight ends uh, going forward, uh, we'll, we'll see that continue. And again, maybe maybe Saturday, whenever I'm uh, down checking out some high school prospects, we'll we'll hear uh, hear similar similar sentiment. Yeah. Now today's December thirteenth. We said at the top it's uh, Wednesday. Um, Friday, this coming Friday, not like the basketball goof I made earlier. This coming Friday, there's going to be a, a big commitment announcement yeah. made and uh it seems that oklahoma is trending well in this particular uh this particular pursuit of an offensive lineman out of florida yeah so eddie pierre louis a guy that we've talked about i feel like every week for the past four months um kind of a, been a back and forth recruitment it's been something that ou bill beatenbow has really had to stay diligent on and again i know bill beatenbow is a guy that's catching a lot of heat from ou fans right now but if he wins this recruitment, that might be a reason to uh, maybe ease off of uh, OU's offensive line coach. Um, again, Eddie Pierre Louis rated the number top, rated one of the top thirty players, top two interior offensive linemen, depending on what service you subscribe to. But coveted recruit, a guy that people all over the country want. OU's got four offensive linemen in that twenty twenty four class. Adding a fifth would be huge, especially with all the the departures they've seen on the offensive line. Obviously, there's the shocking Caden Green departure yesterday. Savion Bird was a little bit surprising. I mean, Nate Anderson, uh, some of those guys, we've seen a lot of those guys leave. And maybe not all those players were starters. Obviously, Caden Green was. But the depth pieces, you need those guys. And so, uh, you know, bringing in five freshman offensive linemen will be big for the depth. And especially moving forward as, you know, to develop those guys. Eddie Pierre-Louis probably has as much developmental upside as most offensive linemen in the country this year. Uh, I think I think I've sent it to you the video of him running track. Two hundred or three hundred and twenty pound men should not be able to three hundred and twenty pound high school kids should not be able to move like that. So again, a guy that would be a huge get for you not only to add depth but the the potential the talent that's there uh, would be big time. OU's had to battle UCF, which is kind of the hometown team here uh, for Eddie Pierre Louis. He's a guy who I think staying close to home was was important for him, but. I do think that in the end, OU, uh, they did an in-home visit with him, I think, last Sunday. So I think that uh, that went very, very well from what I understand. And I think that uh, as long as they can carry the momentum that they have from last weekend into Friday, I think that OU's got a good chance to add fifth offensive line commit in that 2024 class. Also going to have to beat out A&M, UCF, Oregon, Miami. So not a done deal, but uh, definitely uh, I think OU's in a good spot right now. So... uh we're waiting on a phone call from Brendan, Brendan Zerbrug, the quarterback out of Ohio. He's uh, among those 20 or so guys that Brent Venables has said uh, is going to enroll early. Another one that you mentioned earlier that's going to enroll early is Liam Evans, kicker out of Moore. We don't know if he's enrolling early to participate in the bowl game or not. We uh, I read today my man Parker 
over at OU Insider had something about uh, the two guys who are going to uh, participate in the bowl game. And they are uh, Xavier Robinson, the running back, and uh, Michael Hawkins, the quarterback. They're going to show up for practice for the bowl game, get out there, practice against their teammates, and they're apparently going to try to be academically eligible. Now, what this does is if they play in the bowl game, um, I don't think, you know, because it's just one game and it's second semester, technically it's not the first semester. I don't think that affects their, it starts their clock, their NCAA eligibility clock, but it doesn't like, they can still, it's just one game. They can still redshirt. Right. So, uh, but that, I find that very interesting that you've got a uh, running back um, situation kind of going, you don't really know. I mean, Tawi Walker's there, but uh, you lost a couple of running backs to the portal and here comes a freshman running back. Uh, quarterback, you lose Dylan Gabriel to the portal. He goes to Oregon, and ba- Davis Bevel is your backup. Now you've got Michael Hawkins in there early practicing. I mean, this bowl game, this bowl roster is going to look crazy, especially if Leon, Ev- Leon Evans comes in for more and is the place kicker or uh, participates. I don't know if – again, I don't know if Evans is going to do this, but if he were to pursue this, he's a heck of a high school kicker. I think he would be in the competition. This is just, it just could get interesting this whole month of December practice and bowl practices and all that. And I know that uh, a lot of fans and stuff like that don't like to see the bowl games with tons of opt outs, transfers, all the replacements in there. But I have to be honest, for a recruiting guy like me, it's really interesting to see how OU plans to fill these halls. I think it's a good glimpse at the future. And so, like you mentioned, uh, in the quarterback room, no Dylan Gabriel. You've only got two scholarship quarterbacks. For the bowl game in theory but now if michael hawkins is able to come in that's another good piece that uh probably won't have to play but if something does happen and you need a scout uh, you need a quarterback you're not throwing in general booty or jacob switzer or a walk-on in there you're throwing in a guy who has a real future in norman uh, and, and a chance to, to take over the starting role someday down the line see yeah. what he's getting. uh and again it gives it gives the coaches another early chance to look and see, all right, here's what we're working with with Michael Hawkins. Again, he's fresh off of an incredible, just absolutely incredible run in the Texas high school playoffs. Uh, and so I think carrying that momentum into bowl practice is good for him. And I think it's good for the Sooners, obviously. And you mentioned running back, uh, again, Marcus Major, Dalen Smothers, both seemingly out. I mean, obviously no official word, but that's what it seems like. Uh, Tawi Walker uh, looks like he's going to play, I would assume, if he's practicing with the team. But Again, adding another scholarship running back into that room in case things get thin in the bowl game is going to be huge. And if you're going to bring in one of your freshmen running back to to potentially play in a game before he's officially a high school student, Xavier or a college student, Xavier Robinson is the guy to do it with. Six yeah. two, two hundred twenty pounds. He's strong. He's physical. He's powerful. That's the guy who's ready to play college football football before anyone else in this class, at least in the running back room. And so I think that that's the guy that that uh, you want in there. Again, he's got the size, the physicality already. So if he does need to get a few carries, it's not going to be like you're sending a guy who's supposed to be a senior in high school out onto the field. Yeah, I, good, good point. Oh, I was just going to mention, sorry, I uh, had something in my throat there. But Liam Evans, the kicker, I think he's rated the number seven kicker in the country by Cole's Kicking. Uh, and so you mentioned it. Very good, very accomplished kicker. I think he's hit hit some fifty yarders in his high school career, which is very impressive. So if he, I, we do know he's an early enrollee. His dad said that, but uh, not sure whether he's planning on bowl prep or not. If he does plan on bowl prep, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that the starting job is necessarily a given, but I think that he'll definitely push for it and compete. I think 
maybe if we get to the bowl game, if he is practicing, if he is suited up for the game, we see Zach Schmidt miss a kick. Maybe that's where Liam Evans gets his shot to, to, to shine. We'll see. But uh, I think it's definitely big for the Sooners that he's enrolling early, regardless of whether he plays in the bowl game or not. Yeah. Still no call from Zerbrug? Still nothing. I was just checking. Okay, good. If he calls, just jump in and cut me off. Um, the uh, the Sooners uh, got three in the portal uh, this past, I guess, we're on seven, eight days right now that they've uh, they've been adding. Uh, we talked about 15 out. There's three in. Spencer Brown, offensive lineman, Des Malone, uh, defensive back, cornerback, and uh, Deion Burks, wide receiver. What are your thoughts on those three guys? You talked to or you, you interacted with Des Malone. Let's start there. Yeah, so so Des Malone is a is a guy that I, th- I think his attitude is something that probably Brent Venables and those guys like. Again, very um, seems like he's he's got a good uh, confidence, but but not cocky. Uh, where he, I you know, the what what really comes to mind is I asked him about playing in the SEC, and he said, "Yeah, I'm excited. It's the best players in college football. It's the best competition, and I feel like I'm I can hang with those guys. I feel like I can play with that top competition, but it's." It's you always want to play against the best. And so so things like that, when you hear that, you, you think, all right, that's a Brent Venables guy. That's a guy that this this regime, the, the personality style, that's someone that they would like. And again, then you look at the size, you look at the production, you say, well, OK, it all checks out. 6'2", 200 pounds. That's a good size for a cornerback, especially heading to the SEC. He's a guy who's spent four years in college already, so he's older, he's matured. Kind of what we were talking about earlier. You don't want the young guys who don't have a lot of experience taking the majority of the snaps when you first get in the SEC. Uh, Des Malone is a guy who can come in, who's played plenty of snaps. He's played against Arizona, which uh, OU's bull opponent. And um, he can, I, I don't want to say it'll be a seamless transition. I'm sure that going from the Mountain West to the SEC is going to be a little different. But a guy who at least has played college football, who's got the size, who's got the experience, uh, again, two-time All-Mountain West honorable mention, so there's been some production there. I think in the past two years alone, he's recorded three or four interceptions. Uh, so, again, solid production. And, and just a guy that, um, if nothing else, slides in as a good depth piece at cornerback where, I mean, you look at OU this season, Gentry Williams, Kenai Walker, and Woody Washington were the three main guys. When Woody Washington, was, or not Woody, when Gentry was dealing with injuries, which felt like nearly every game, uh, it was the Kanai Walker and the Woody Washington show. And behind them, it was a bunch of freshmen. Jacoby Johnson, Josiah Wagner, Makari Vickers. Uh, and again, those guys probably have really promising careers at Oklahoma. Um, but three redshirt freshmen are probably not guys that you want leading your defensive back group in the SEC. I mean, when you're playing against LSU on the road or when Alabama comes to Norman, you don't want a bunch of true freshmen or redshirt freshmen corners who have very little experience dealing with some of the best wide receivers, some of the best quarterbacks, playmakers in the country. Uh, and so I think getting a veteran guy who can, who's seen some of that before, I think that'll really, really help OU as they head into the SEC next year. Again, I, I would imagine that he will challenge to start. And even if he doesn't, he'll probably get plenty of snaps as a good rotational player. And I don't think that OU's done offering defensive backs either. I mean, Jermod McCoy, who's a uh, Oregon State transfer. I think he had two or three interceptions himself this year. He just picked up an offer from the Sooners yesterday. So I think that OU is still going after some of these guys, some of these defensive backs in the portal. They're not done. Um, Woody Washington, obviously, uh, can stay if he if he wants. He's got another year of eligibility, might be departing to the draft. And if he does depart to the NFL draft then, or, or just move on from his OU career, then I think it's even more crucial that OU lands some of those transfer defensive backs because you really, really don't want to go 
to the SEC with the only defensive back on your roster with good starting experience being Gentry Williams, a guy who was hurt most of the year. Yeah. Uh, in terms of wide receiver, um, my guess, and this is just a guess, is that they're only, they're they're not going to offer, they're not going to really heavily pursue any more portal wide receivers. The, yeah. uh, they got the prize they wanted in Deion Burks. They've got so many freshmen coming in in the 24 class and the 25 class next year that you don't you don't want to overcook this thing by getting a bunch of portal guys in to complicate things. Plus, you look at who they've got back. I think they're set at wide Mm -hmm. receiver. Spencer Brown, on the other hand, he jumps in and he's like, "Yeah, I can probably I can play left tackle. I can play right tackle. Whatever whatever you coaches think, whatever you want me to do." He played right tackle at Michigan State. He's suddenly he's like the tip of the spear. On the on the offensive line, what's needed across the offensive line? You got Caden, uh, Caden Green suddenly bailing out uh, unexpectedly in a massive hole that you were building around for the next three years. He's yep. gone. Uh, you're replacing two guys who went to the NFL draft. They need immediate replacing. Um, you know, the, the, there's there's movement on both tackles. There's there's depth. There's youth. There's inexperience. There's backups. Spencer Brown is like all of a sudden, hey, uh, Spencer. You know any other offensive linemen that uh, might want to come to OU? They're they're asking him stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, so you if you think about it, I mean, obviously Jacob Sexton started at the end of the year for the Sooners, so he he I mean seems like he'll be back. Of course, that'd be that would be shocking if he's not back, but um, also again seems like he'll be back. Aside from him, OU doesn't have any starting offensive linemen coming back. Andrew Rain gone to the draft. Caden mm-hmm. Matoyer, out of eligibility. Caden Green in the transfer portal. Uh, Tyler Guyton, gone to the draft. Walter Rouse, out of eligibility. I mean, those are five guys who literally started for multiple games for OU this season. Yep. Uh, in addition to those guys we mentioned, Savion Bird, he started multiple games for this season for OU this season. He's out the door. Nate Anderson might not have been a starter, but again, a depth player. He's out the door. Caleb Schaefer, out of eligibility. I think he made... Well, I don't know that he started for OU this year, but he did come in. He did get some action in, most notably in that UT game. Uh, but again, he was he was one of the, the Sooners' key depth pieces on that offensive line this season. And he's another guy that's out of eligibility too. So uh, you mentioned it. Not only are you replacing starters, but you're trying to find depth behind the new starters that you're bringing in. And so Spencer Brown is obviously a huge welcome addition because he seems, seemingly will fill one of, one of those tackle spots. Jacob Sexton will probably get the other so it seems like most likely again nothing's given but most likely you've gotten your you've got your two starting tackles and i'm i would assume that spencer brown being six foot six 315 pounds that's kind of the bill beatenbow mold of a tackle big just massive maulers um i assume that with his experience being a, a i think redshirt senior or a true senior regardless a veteran player i think that that will again slot him into a lot of playing time just because OU doesn't want to throw a guy who's never blocked against, never started a game against at the college level against SEC defensive linemen. I mean, we know how ferocious those guys are. Uh, you know, I talked about the receivers in the SEC. The defensive linemen are probably even better. And so you don't want guys who've never gotten a ton of experience, ton of playing time out there going up play after play against those guys. I think Spencer Brown, obviously being a multi-year starter, will will get the 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 slide right in there, but you mentioned it. Uh, OU is going to need to hit the portal and get some other offensive linemen to fill those interior spots. Uh, Josh Bates maybe slides in and is your new center next year, uh, but may, again, maybe that's a spot that you're looking for a more veteran player. The guard spots, 
OU desperately needs to fill their guard spots now that Caden Green's gone. We mentioned Caleb Schaefer, no Savion Bird, Nate Anderson out of the way. I mean, that's four guards right there that they're, that are – I mean, that's not to mention McCade Matoyer, who's out of eligibility as well. I mean, that's five guards that you're losing right there. That's where you really need to fill those holes. OU's got some some offers out to some offensive linemen, uh, notably another Michigan State offensive lineman, Gino Vandemark, interior guy. Um, and so, so I, again, OU's trying. They're pulling hard in the portal for those interior guys, but – Spencer Brown was a guy that they really, really needed, especially with uh, what's going on on the offensive line. Uh, and I would imagine that we'll hear some more news regarding some offensive line transfers uh, pretty soon. Yeah, that's what I was just getting ready to say was they probably have offered six guys while we've been sitting here talking about it. And uh, two of them may have already committed. I mean, we, this thing moves so fast. So uh, let's switch to uh, running back um, where in talking about the transfer portal. Uh, one – SEC running back has put Oklahoma in his top four, and it looks like they might go in a different direction. I find that interesting. Yeah, so so Mario Anderson is the running back that you're referring to. He uh, originally, I think, was at Newberry College, which is in South Carolina, Division II school. Yep. Uh, I think spent four years there, then transferred to South Carolina, and this year ran for a little over 700 yards, I think five, four or five touchdowns. So productive season. Uh, he's about 5'9", 210, 215 pounds. So it, it's really interesting. If you look at kind of his backstory, his size, his production, what does that seem really similar to? Tommy Walker, right? 5'9", yeah. 215, guy who came from the lower level and transferred up. Uh, and again, similar production. So um, a guy that OU, I think, obviously would love to have. I don't think that they would turn their nose up at him uh, his other top four schools were Memphis, USC, and Cal. So some other 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 schools that were interested in him, obviously USC and Memphis, they put out some pretty successful offenses most years. Um, but it seems like OU is leaning more towards taking Sam Franklin, a running back from UT Martin. Uh, he put up almost 1,400 yards this year and get 11 touchdowns on the ground. He averaged over six yards a carry this year. So guy who is a ton of production at the FCS level this year. If you go back to last year as a sophomore, he had over 600 yards and eight touchdowns, averaging like eight yards a carry. So this is a guy who, in his last two seasons at the FCS level, has been extremely productive. He's picked up some good offers since he put his name in the portal. Uh, but it seems like OU's trending in the right direction with him. I think that that might be um, somewhere where they're able to get a running back commitment out of the portal. Again, we'll have to see nothing set in stone. But right now, the way things look, uh, it seems like they're trending in the right direction towards uh, OU and Samuel Franklin, which, again, it would be a big get for a team that uh, seems to be losing a lot of running backs next season. Uh, outside of Sawchuck, they'll probably be relying on a transfer if they can bring one in. Uh, and then maybe if Javante Barnes, if Taylor Tatum, maybe Xavier Robinson is able to work their way into the rotation. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if some of those young guys find themselves getting heavy carries next year. Um, let's go quickly through these. There's a couple of preferred walk-ons who are legacy players who, are, who just got their uh, their offers, their preferred walk-on offers. This is uh, this could be interesting, including one who's got a brother on the team. Yeah. So I, we'll start there, I guess. Xavier Freeman, uh, if you uh, can't catch on to the last name, that is the younger brother of Gavin Freeman and the son of Jason Freeman. I think that Kind of probably being redundant for most of you fans. I think they know most of the, both of those guys. But uh, just like his brother, he uh, plays for Heritage Hall. He's, uh, I'd say Xavier's a little closer to his dad than his brother. Uh, his dad obviously being a tight end. Xavier's a six foot one, 250-pound offensive and defensive lineman. So um, 
not the biggest guy in the world, but I've seen him play personally. He is physical. He plays hard. He's exactly the type of guy that you would uh, expect OU to, to go after with a preferred walk-on. Those guys who are going to bring it in practice every day, who are going to try to make their teammates better, who hustle. Uh, and again, he is physical. He is strong. I mean, he's a big, I mean, big stout kid. Uh, I think that um, he, again, I can't say enough about how hardworking, how much he hustles. And just on those offensive and defensive lines, you can see him moving guys out the way. You can see him getting into the backfield, dragging guys down. Uh, he was a guy that when you go to watch Heritage Hall, you always notice that that's definitely one of the best players on the team. Um, I mean, of course, Andy Bass sticks out just doing the crazy stuff that he does statistically. Um, and um, But I think outside of Andy Bass, when you look around the field, you say that's one of the best players on the team. Uh, I think that OU's done well, obviously, with uh, Freeman's in the past. Um, and so I think that that it's really cool uh, for them to extend this offer. Now, he obviously hasn't committed or anything yet, but I, I would assume that uh, things will probably go in the, the way that OU wants on that one, um, considering that I don't I haven't seen a ton of other Division One schools really making a move on, on Freeman. But again, I think that this is a guy who, I've said it before with Dax Knowles, the Norman High School uh, preferred walk-on commit, guy who's going to make his teammates better in practice because he's he's going to bring it, he's going to work hard, and he's got some good tools that, I mean, I don't want to say that it will lend themselves to him being a huge playmaker on the field necessarily for OU, but at least will make his teammates have to work to beat him in practice. And and moving on, uh, go up north to more your neck of the woods, not quite, but closer, uh, Bixby, uh, Evan McClure, uh, who's an offensive lineman for the Spartans, picked up a preferred walk-on offer. Again, uh, I think if you're from the state of Oklahoma, you know how dominant Bixby is. I don't need to go into that. Uh, but Evan, Evan's dad, Drew, actually played for OU in the mid to late uh, – Bruce. Bruce. Ev- sorry. I <laughs> I had a teacher in elementary school named Miss McClure. I think her husband's name was Drew. That's why I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if Miss McClure is watching this, thank you for teaching me math. Um, uh, anyway, Bruce McClure, the father of Evan McClure, uh, played for OU from the uh, mid to late 90s. Uh, he was an offensive lineman himself. Uh, and, and Evan is actually a really solid player. I think he's got a handful of D1 offers, including Tulsa, uh, some of those schools up up in that, um, that level of play. And so if OU is able to land a PWO commitment from a guy who's got other Division One offers. We've seen them do it in this class with guys like Bergen Kaiser, with Jacob Jordan, uh, some other guys. But if they're able to pull the same thing off with Evan McClure, I think that that would be a huge get because this is a guy who has had a ton of success at the high school level. He's a big kid. His dad played for OU, and I think that uh, that he's got he's got all the makings of the PWO guys that Brent Venables and company that OU wants to bring onto their team. I think that those are two good. Uh, PW offers extended, and I, I, I think that uh, oh, you'd be happy to land both of them. All right, we'll finish with this, Randall. Um, you're going to be busy, 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 as I've said before, um, over the next few weeks, of course. But uh, starting tomorrow, you've got high school games at AT&T Stadium, high, Texas High School State Championship games. You're going to cover one on uh, Thursday, and you're going to cover three on Saturday. From those four games that you're going to watch, give me one name, give me one guy that you think Oklahoma fans really need to turn their attention to. Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. All right. Uh, I would say Thursday night, Colin Peacock, uh, a name that OU, um, OU offered him over the summer. 
Uh, this is a guy who's been crystal balled to OU uh, before, so it would not be, uh, I think that there's been predictions for him to end up in Norman before. This is a guy who in the past has worked with uh, our friend Sean Cooper uh, down at C4 in Durant, Oklahoma. So he's got, got some some ties to, to the area. And he also played seven on seven with Jacob Jordan, who is a an OU uh, 2024 preferred walk-on commitment. Uh, they're both from the DFW area, and so so they know each other well. I think that, uh, that there's some good connections between OU and and Peacock and some of the some of his friend network and things like that. Good athlete, he runs I think like a 10.5 in the hundred in track. So that's I mean that's really fast. He's about six foot one, 180 pounds. Uh, not not the highest rated prospect, but a guy that I think that um, he's the, he's the type of player that Brent Venables and company love to go after. Uh, we'll get his thoughts where he's sitting with OU. Uh, on Thursday night, so be sure to tune in for his highlights. For again, w- what he thinks about OU right now, and then I know you said one, but quickly in on Saturday night, Desoto, 2027 wide, 2027. I know, crazy, 2027 wide receiver Ethan Feaster, one of the top 2027 players in all of America. Uh, I was telling you before he had like 20 offers before he even started high school. Receiver for Desoto, he was OU's first offer in the 2027 class first offer in the 2027 class we'll get to talk to him on saturday night see what he thinks see where ou is uh, again we're going to be one of the top players in the entire country probably will be a five star in that class so oh you got in on that one early colin peacock a 2025 defensive back something someone to keep an eye on for sure heck of a player um if you've uh, nothing yet from brendan zerbrug nothing yet okay nothing yet we'll we'll Give him a give, give him a ring when you get off the podcast here. If you've hung on with us this long, I'm going to reward you guys with uh, a little bit of math and a little bit of numbers and a little bit of names as we wrap up the podcast. Y'all remember the Sooner Summit, right? 2021, all Sooners. This was June, July. I can't remember exactly. I think July uh, of 21 recruiting class. Uh, but it was not. It was 2020, so it was. These guys were still in high school. Y'all remember the Sooner Summit? Caleb Williams organized everything, got everybody to fly to, uh, including uh, to Oklahoma City, to hang out in Norman for unofficial visits because this was during the pandemic. Everybody had to wear masks. We, I was there with my big fancy camera and a shooting video. We got all those uh, videos uploaded, interviews Caleb and and all his buddies. Um, among the guys that we interviewed were uh, was Danny Stutzman. And I got to thinking about some of the numbers, and I was talking with Danny Stutzman's dad earlier in the week, and we got to talking about some of the names and numbers. Of the uh, – what's the total number? I'm looking at the class here. Uh, total number of commits. I don't even have the total number here. I thought I did. Oh, 25. 25 total guys. Guess how many are still at OU? Out of 25, you got six guys left. More than that. Danny Stutzman came back. He was one of the six. Here's your list. Caleb Williams, gone. Clayton Smith, gone. Mario Williams, gone. Savion Bird, gone. (laughs) Kelvin Gilliam, gone. Cody Jackson, gone. Uh, Nathan Rollins Kabanje, gone. I thought he was going to be good. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon, gone. Damon Harmon, gone. Jordan Mukes, gone. Cullen Montgomery, gone. Wanya Morris finished his career after transferring from uh, Tennessee. He's in the NFL now. Key Lawrence, 
don't know if he he's in the portal, but I don't know if he's going to be playing. I didn't I didn't hear anything about seeing him at practice on Tuesday. Eric Gray in the NFL right now. Another transfer from Tennessee. Micah Bowens gone. Mike Woods from Arkansas in the NFL. Maurice Wren gone. Oh, wow. uh, who else we got? Oh, Michael Turk just got another NFL tryout this week. Robert Conjol transfer from Arizona gone. Uh, his uh, his eligibility expired. The only guys on this list, out of 25 guys, the only ones left. You ready for this? Billy Bowman. Got the list right here. Hang on. Jalil Farouk, mm-hmm. Ethan Downs, uh, Danny Stutzman, and then two transfers. Josh Plaster <laughs> and Isaiah Coe. How's that for a list? 25 guys. You only got six left. Four of those are high school guys. So four out of that freshman class are back, are, are still here three years later. Crazy. And, and you mentioned the the transfers, Plaster and Co. Co. obviously was a very impactful player in his time at OU, but his time is up now, um, being uh, graduating now. And Plaster hasn't really done much. I mean, he he was the punter to begin this year and then got his job taken. Holder. He was, he's done some holding. Yeah. Yes, he has done some holding. Yep, which I would take that if I were on uh, a college football roster, if I were the holder. I would Maybe love he can- he can become OU's second Mortel Holder of the Year award winner. <laughs> Following the footsteps of Connor McGinnis. The, Spencer Brown won it too, didn't he? Oh, Spencer, <laughs> Jones, Spencer Jones. Sorry, Spencer Brown is the offensive lineman from Michigan I, State. Spencer Jones. I, I, I did not realize Spencer Jones won it. Yeah, the uh, hottie of the year, H-O-T-Y, Holder, holder of, of the, the Year. year yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, man, as always. Appreciate you, Randall. Thanks, Hoof. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. Certified fresh from the press box is what we used to do after games. That's coming up. we got two more weeks, guys, two more weeks. We're going to have a game, and we're going to have a post-game, press com- uh, post-game podcast that will be certified fresh. But you can find those and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, anywhere you find your podcasts find the All Sooners podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, hopefully soon, uh, allsooners.com. Just click the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and all shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, great job, guys. I'm John Hoover. See you guys.